Welcome back to another episode of Underrated. I'm Lefty. And I'm Bo. Welcome back. How are you doing today, Bo? Yeah, I'm doing good. It uh, feels good to be back on track here. Out of nowhere, um, it seems like fall's hit. It's been a 60s all day here in the Midwest. And uh, Nice, nice. Yeah. So it's nice, cooled man. down since uh, last time we chatted a few days ago? Oh, I know. It was like 100 degrees here yesterday. I mean, so it's just like, yeah, I mean... It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be like fall for the foreseeable week, at least. Nice, but, nice. Uh, that's not even the big news. We're we're coming off of our first Patreon episode, folks. You we know. are. We are. It's uh, it's up on Patreon. You you all can uh, you know support us on Patreon. patreoncom slash Um Or if you if you look really hard, you could probably find it unlocked on YouTube. Yeah. Exactly. And. Uh, I thought it was delightful, which, uh, yeah, and we covered thrilling topics like, you know, beans and chili, uh, stuffed kolaches, dolls. <laughs> um, the, the classic, uh, movie, the comrades of summer. Yeah. Dallas buyers club. Um, the 1996 almost award winning film, Eddie starring Whoopi Goldberg and don't forget legendary late host of unsolved mysteries, Dennis Farina. You know, <laughs> stuff like that stuff like that yeah 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 so if you haven't checked that out uh head over to our patreon patreon.com slash underrated pod or or don't but uh you should oh, that's a good one it's you should you should i we highly recommend it not for just our benefit but uh hey let's let's talk about some sports i don't want to keep our thousands of listeners waiting you know some uh some quick nba news uh boston celtics coach Ime Odoka facing a season-long suspension for having a consensual relationship with a franchise staff member, it looks like. So uh, if this goes through, you know, I this hurts. You, you have a legit finals contender in this in this Celtics team. So uh, have you read about this, Lefty? Have you seen this? Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen too much information. I think that it's kind of still remaining hush-hush. But, uh, you know, just uh, functionally, I don't know. You know, if, if, if he's in an organizational role of like position of power, I don't I, I don't see how he could have a consensual relationship with someone who's beneath him. I think that definitionally that doesn't really work. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, this is definitely a a interesting and also a tough, you know, situation, um, you know. Yeah, most most mostly because there seems to be different codes of conducts. Number one, that apply to different people in different situations in the NBA in general. Um, in this specific scenario, you know, like I said, uh, you know, looking at it from from our point of view, a lot of questions, right? Um, you know, I, I think he's in a relationship. Uh, I, I know he's unmarried. Uh, I'm not sure what's you know. We don't know the details on this, but uh, just not a good decision not never a good decision in the workspace ever so uh you know you've got this uh, you got a guy like sarver you know totally on the opposite side of the spectrum you know i don't know if you heard this or not but he's he's choosing to sell the phoenix suns and the mercury you know he's calling himself a man of faith in this process you know, but yeah, yeah, I think you're, le- you're you're legally obligated to do that when you when you get in trouble for something stupid. You, you yeah, have but to you refer to yourself as a man of faith, right? And what's even crazier is like, you know, this is his choice. 
This is not something that was forced on him. This was not something that he has to do. There's no code of conduct for, for an owner, even by NBA standards, right? And, you know, I don't know. It's just ridiculous to me that you can walk around being an absolute racist and suffer the same punishment as a completely different scenario with the same severity, you know? But, you know, it, it, it's just, I think it shows what priority levels uh, different forms of discrimination seem to be on, right? It seems yeah, like yeah. It, it, it just all seems to, you know, uh, be on the back burner. I don't know. It's just, it's just a weird situation uh, in the NBA for me. Yeah, yeah. Probably something I'll probably, uh, you know, just avoid altogether the NBA this year. Man, you know, it's it's just it's so hard. It's just like, you know, with Adam Silver and the way these things have been handled and just uh, all the continuous drama surrounding it, you know, it just gets really tough. But, uh, you know, speaking of religion and being faithful and all that fun stuff, let's talk about the NCAA, men's football, uh, for a second. <laughs> Did you uh, did you read did you read anything about this whole Oregon BYU situation? Um, yeah, I really thought you were gonna you're gonna you're gonna transition to to Brett Favre, but uh, oh. <laughs> um, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I, I read a thing or two. Um, so, so I guess as crowd in Oregon starts chanting Mormons suck, and this has opened up this whole massive can of worms, right? Because now you got the church involved, you know. Uh, be, I find this to be interesting. So, you know, BYU is basically talking about how, you know, religious bigotry is appalling. Which yeah, I, yeah. which I find uh, to be very, very ironic. Yeah, just just a little bit. Um, especially just even shrinking back, you know, from from Mormons in general just to recent BYU history. You know, it, it's we're less than a month from uh, some some pretty racist things being yelled at volleyball players at a BYU at a BYU game. That's um, right. That's right. So, I didn't think um, of that. I, I think that uh, that's a much more egregious thing. Obviously, religious tolerance is important, but uh, sure. not when the religion itself isn't all that tolerant to begin with. Right, exactly. You know, it, again, you know, it's just we're going to cherry pick what we what we feel. You know, it's okay to dish it out, but if, if, if we're having to deal with it, that that's a no-no. You know, that can't go on. That can't be. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a strange situation. Yeah, speaking of strange situations, um, you know we've uh, we're down to the wire here again. You know, I'm just keeping an eye on this MLB thing. You've got Albert Pujols, a couple home runs away from the 700 mark. You've got Aaron Judge, who's, I mean, I, just he, he, well, a little bit gonna, ago, he's, he's closing in on a record that uh, has already been broken. <laughs> Who broke that, Billy Crystal? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think it was broken uh, several times over, right? I think, uh, <laughs> right. Not even just once, but twice. Yeah, a, a few times. So, you know. Um, anyway, so he's going to break that record. <laughs> nah, that broke so the record. <laughs> yeah, he's going to come in third, maybe fourth. Yeah. So, what do you think? Do you think that? Um, you know, I've heard a lot of different angles on this. Do you think, um, as a as a baseball fan, that transport yourself a while back? Like, is this exciting? Is this are these chases exciting for you? I mean, I think they're trying to. I, th I think that the Aaron Judge chase is fine. It's not all that exciting. He's sure. like he said, chasing a 
record that's been broken three times over. Um, yeah, I found that odd, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not certain the what what the the Maris clan is doing here, um, as we've talked about, and I've mm-hmm. been arguing mm-hmm. with people on on Twitter about all day. Um, right. Um, but I, I do think the chase for 700 is a little more meaningful. Um, I think that it's interesting that we don't count, um, you know, playoff statistics in which, you know, pools is long surpassed the 700 mark. But sure, uh, uh, you know, to each their own. To each their own. That's correct. Do you, do you uh, find this as exciting as the uh, the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa home run chase? No, no. I, you know, I think the just obviously that's a time when you know there's there's no social media, there's no real outside sources of like you know I don't want to say distraction, but just awareness, right? Like there's nothing there's nothing out there that you know can compare it to something else that's happened or, or weigh in on other things. You know, I feel like if social media existed then that race would have like come crashing down or something. I, I think somebody would have, would have blown the whistle on the MLB in some way, shape or form, or, you know, something, you know, would have happened and, and caught fire. But aside from all that, I mean, that was an extremely exciting year. You know, when you had uh, a virtual nobody in, in Sammy Sosa, just come out of the woodwork there, you know, recently and just start, you know, hitting bombs. Yeah, uh, Ken yeah. Griffey Jr. always um, just th- the most exciting player of his generation to just watch in general. So that yeah, uh, yeah. even more coverage on him as, as a young baseball fan was was amazing. It, it was amazing to see. And, you know, uh, he, 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 for a lot of people in St. Louis, the Cardinals were terrible that year. That was that was the hope. That was the focus. Nobody cared about the record at that point. You know, it was just it it was pretty exciting. I have to say, some of the, uh, some of the most exciting baseball memories. You know, I I know I have. So uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, because you famously are a huge Gary Gaetti fan. That's true. <laughs> and he, and he was unabashedly the star of that 1998 Cardinals <laughs> team, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Him and a guy named. Uh, <laughs> Ron Gant. Yeah, Ron Gant. I was going to say Donovan Osborne. Uh, yeah, uh, man. Uh, it's a deep cut. Deep cut. <laughs> There's probably some underrated guys on there. You know. Ron Gant. <laughs> Ron Gant. Oh, man. Yeah. I I think, uh, you know, Ray Lankford. Ray Lankford is another one. Yeah. 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 I mean, he had some numbers that could uh, be argued as know possibly maybe i don't know i don't want to i don't want to blow this you know story before it's written (laughs) (laughs) go that route did uh you know you know who had the same baseball reference war over their career as ray lankford who's that roger maris really if that tells you how overrated roger maris is jesus my gosh yeah uh, hey, um, do you have his stats pulled up? Like, in front of Maris? Right. Um, I do. Um, what What is the most amount of home runs he hit outside of that season? Outside of that one season? 39, the year prior in 1960? I mean, that's pretty crazy. That sounds like some some uh, Brady Anderson type uh, tomfoolery. Yeah. 
type of yeah, stuff. So, so some Gary, Gary Gaetti late season revival, late career some revival. Gary, some Gary G magic. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Man. No, it's pretty remarkable that he really only had uh, uh, two good seasons. Yeah. I, uh, again, I, I know nothing about Roger Maris other than that season and that, you know, obviously he played for the Cardinals. Um, but, uh, you know, that's not even talked about. Even during that home run race, it wasn't even talked about hardly. Like, it was – I don't think I knew, even as a fan that religiously watched games, that I didn't even knew – I don't think I even knew that Roger Maris played for the Cardinals until, like, the 60-second home run was hit. I'll be honest. Like, I mean, <laughs> there was really nothing about that man that stood out other than that record, you know, uh, especially, you know – when there was a Stan Musial, you know, or, yeah, or yeah. guys like that, or the Dean brother, you know, stuff like that. It's just a Bob Gibson, man, Kurt Flood. It's just, you know, Roger Maris didn't matter, really. Yeah, he, was, he, was, yeah. he was like he was like when Tino Martinez played for the Cardinals that one year. <laughs> and just well, like, you know, he he, he was a yeah. he was a guy that uh, even the, the Yankees felt were expendable, was expendable. You know, they traded him for a, a pretty horrible player in Charlie Smith. Right, exactly. Yeah, I just I think they I think they were done with that. They they saw it early on, but uh, hey, that's how it goes, you know. Whatever he's got that one record that's been broken a million times, and yet he's still relevant. So uh, <laughs> to some people, <laughs> much like uh, much like Sam Adams in Cleveland, somebody's yeah, got to beat that drum. Somebody's got. <laughs> Love that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Um, Let's let's get into the juice. What uh, we yeah, got for yeah. us today, Lefty? Yeah. So, so so I'm not sure how much you've seen, but there, there's some other baseball happenings in the world right now outside of that MLB playoff push. Hmm. Some news coming from a different continent. That's right. You know, this week we've seen both the Czech Republic and Great Britain qualify for the World Baseball Classic. Oh my goodness. Are you, are you following the World Baseball Classic qualifications at all? I'm not at all. This is this is bra- this is breaking news for me, man. Yeah, so there are two teams that have qualified for the first time ever. Um and in just yesterday, Jazz Chisholm uh announced that he'd be playing for that Great Britain team. Um and really totally unrelated to my story, but in the interview in which he announced he was going to be playing for that team, he said that he'd be wearing number 3. And it was an ode to one of his favorite players growing up. Do you know what number three he, he was talking about? No, what number three? Cincinnati Reds, Ken Griffey Jr. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Yes. Okay. Yes. Like All it, right. So there. Yeah. So there. Like. Like. All right. So there's that. Explicitly, Ken Griffey Jr. for the Reds when he wore number three. <laughs> I, I, I. That's that's hilarious. Oh, yeah, I, I I enjoyed oh. it. But, uh, you know, back to my, my story here. You know, with all of this World Baseball Classic news, I thought that it might be fitting to talk about the greatest player in the history of that competition. In four iterations of that world tournament, only one player has won two championships, been named to two all-world baseball classic teams, and won two 
tournament MVP awards. Man. That player is one that many in the United States might consider actually overrated, or at least, uh, you know, a bit of a disappointment. Today, I want to talk about Japanese ace Daisuke Matsuzaka. Daisuke. Oh, man. <sighs> he played for the Cubs, but uh, go on, go on. Daisuke, did, I can appreciate did, did Daisuke. He, did he play for the Cubs? Did he, did he play for the Cubs? No, you're thinking of uh, Kasuke Fukudome. Oh, man. I, I swore he was in that rotation at some random point. Okay, listen, let me shut up. Nope. Obviously. No. <laughs> I, obviously, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about here, but uh, all right. So, I mean, he, he played for the Red Sox. I, I thought he had a random year for the Cubs. This makes this a little easier in nope. a way. <laughs> anyway, you know, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> b- 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 before his famed move to the MLB in 2007, Matsuzaka was a household name in Japan. After putting up very impressive numbers in Little League and high school, Daisuke drew interest from multiple MLB teams, but ended up going first overall in the Nippon Professional Baseball Draft to the mm-hmm. Satama Seibu Lions in 1999. With the Lions, he immediately yeah he immediately dazzled. In his first yeah. season, at only 18 years old, he started 24 games, went 16 and four with a 2.6 ERA and 151 strikeouts in 180 innings. That that's season, not, yeah, that's yeah, not, incredible man. numbers. And that was a season that saw him start the All-Star game as an 18-year-old rookie, win the Rookie of the Year award, win the Best Nine award for being the best player at his position in the league, mm-hmm. win a gold glove, as well as leading the league in wins, all at 18 years old. Rookie season. Rookie wow. season. Good grief. The following, the following season, he stepped up even more, winning a second gold glove, again winning the Best Nine award, and that year he led the league in both wins and strikeouts. Mm. In his junior season in 2001, he won the Sawam... I apologize for my horrible Japanese pronunciation, but... Sawamura Award for the best pitcher in the NPB. From 1999 to 2006, he won seven gold gloves, was named to the best nine three times, led the league in wins three seasons, led the league in ERA twice, and led the league in strikeout four different years. <laughs> and in March of 2006, Matsuzaka also led Japan to victory in the inaugural World Baseball Classic. He won the MVP of that tournament on the back of 13 innings pitched and three wins. Oh, yeah. That dominant stint with the Lions and showing up so largely on the international stage had MLB clubs knocking down the door. And after the 2006 season, the Lions posted him, and the Red Sox won that bidding more, bidding over $51 million for his services. While Daisuke didn't see the same immediate success that he saw with the Lions, in his first season with Boston, he did show flashes of brilliance. Mm-hmm. During just his first start stateside, stateside, he struck out 10 batters, retired 10 consecutive batters at another point, point. Um, and that season saw him surpass 200 innings pitched and with more than 200, 200 strikeouts. 200 innings yeah. pitched, 200 strikeouts, and, uh, you know, a 4.1 BUR and finished fourth in Rookie of the Year voting. Impressive, yeah, not phenomenal, but great season. For sure. Fo- I, I remember follow- that debut. Yeah, yeah, it was it was all over, you know? For sure. Um, the following season saw him walk the fewest batters in the league during a season in which he put up an impressive 5.4 BWAR and only 167.2 innings pitched. 
in route to a fourth place Cy Young finish. But it also yeah. stalled the start of some unfortunate injury issues. A rotator cuff strain saw him miss time early that season. So he only pitched that 167 innings. All right. It was 2009 where things kind of went off the rails. He returned to the World Baseball Classic before the 2009 season, leading Japan to their second consecutive title and winning his second consecutive tournament MVP award. Again, three starts, three wins. Mm-hmm. That decision was a costly one. He injured his hip in the competition, then missed most of spring training, mm-hmm. um, and landed on the injured list to start the season, returning in May, only to be placed back on the injury list less than a month later. All right. Due to that extensive injury history that year, he only threw 59 really bad innings in 2009, yeah. dimming what was... Otherwise, a sparkling start to his U.S. career. 2010, another trip to the IL. But a somewhat productive season as he managed, you know, more than 150 innings. uh, But still below replacement level. Nowhere near his first two seasons. 2011, tore his UCL, needed Tommy John surgery. Something that would lead him him unable to return to form in American baseball. All told in MLB, Daisuke only managed 790 innings in parts of eight seasons, good for 9.4 BWAR. That 9.4 BWAR is a lower number than what he produced in just his first two American seasons. Hmm. Tough, man. Yeah, but that story doesn't end there, you know. After 12 seasons away from Japan, Daisuke returned to Japan at the age of 34, where he managed to pitch in one game in 2015. In 2016, he managed 10 NPB games out of the bullpen. And after being such a dominant starter early in his career, Daisuke eventually was able to kind of master the conversion to the bullpen and in 2018 pitched 55 innings out of the pen to a 3.74 ERA and a route to Comeback Player of the Year award. And just last year in 2021, he signed a one-day contract at 40 years old where he walked one batter for the Lions and ended his career with the club he began with. Mm -hmm. All told, Matsuzaka pitched... 1,464 innings in the NPB with a 3.04 ERA and 1,410 strikeouts. While those numbers are great in and of themselves, they don't really stack up when it comes to NPB like records. You sure. know, he took more than a decade trying to pitch in the United States. And while what-ifs don't really count for much, it's likely Matsuzaka would be one of the 10 best pitchers in NPB history in terms of both strikeouts and wins if he had stayed in Japan. Sure. Counting his MLB stats... A level that most experts kind of agree is more difficult than Japanese baseball. Daisuke would have the 10th most strikeouts in MPB history. Wow. Daisuke Matsuzaka was a dominant pitcher in Japan who rolled the dice and came to the MLB. While injuries held him back from his true ceiling, he still had a phenomenal career. MPB Rookie of the Year in 1999. Sawamura winner in 2001. Seven gold gloves leading the league in strikeouts four times. All huge things. And topically, and importantly, Daisuke also propelled the global sport of baseball. The World Baseball Classic has grown in popularity since its inception in 2006, and Matsuzaka was the first bona fide star of that tournament. To this day, Daisuke holds World Baseball Classic records for starts and wins, with six of each. Six starts, six wins. Mm -hmm. So bow. Is Daisuke Matsuzaka just another foreign player who couldn't back up his NPB success in the majors? 
or is Dice K underrated? You know, I think that, and I, I just want to start with saying that for anyone who doesn't follow or isn't familiar with the NPB, this is a highly competitive, star-ridden league overseas that has some serious talent. And, you know, um, it's not easy. You can't just go out there. It's not like pitching in double-A, right? I mean, this is no just run-of-the-mill league. And when we're looking at historically, you know, and you, you talk about names like Ichiro and, you know, obviously Dice K, but Hideo Nomo, Yu Darvish, Hideke Matsui, you know, list goes on. Iwakuma now, you know, um, these are extremely talented athletes, um, not just in the NPB, but they were able to translate their talents over into the MLB. Now, this is a tough discussion, right? I mean, we had this discussion, and a lot of people have, even in regards to Ichiro. But I I feel like the level of talent uh, on both sides shouldn't be forgotten, right? I think for someone like Dice K, um, you know, there's probably a lot of pride, obviously, representing Japan and staying Japan and, um, you know, carrying that on. But you know, I don't believe that we can just disregard statistics based on, you know, playing in, in a different country, right? You know, I mean, especially when it comes to the NPB and comparing it with the MLB, you know, Korean and Japanese baseball is extremely competitive and there's a high level of talent there. So I think that is the issue that we commonly run into, right? I mean, we look at these players and we look at the end of their careers and we just see these numbers in the MLB. And I think by default, these players are, are seen as underrated. Um, you know, so me, honestly, I, I feel like Daisuke's accomplishments are underrated. And it's for the simple fact that so many people aren't familiar or want to look at those numbers outside of the MLB, right? And with a string of injuries and, you know, things happening, uh, you know, he came into the league at how old? Do, uh, do we know how old he was when he made his MLB I, debut? Yeah, I believe he was uh, like 27, 26. Right. You know, I mean, yes, yeah, still a young person, but had been playing for quite a while and had a plethora of accomplishments. This was 10 years into his professional career at this point, right? You know, so, yeah. I mean, if if I'm just looking at it from the surface, I am very confident saying that I think Dice K is an underrated pitcher. Um, and I, I believe that, you know, we tend to do this as MLB fans to a lot of foreign athletes where we disregard what they've already done and accomplished in their career. And you just can't do that, you know, in my opinion. I know it's a tough discussion, and uh, I'd like to hear your take on it, but, um, you know, that's kind of where I stand. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he's a guy that definitely demonstrated that he could succeed, and not just succeed, but, you know, excel at the MLB level. He just had yeah. some unfortunate injury issues, you know. But it, it, uh, while it, it was what spurred this conversation that 2009 World Baseball Classic um, likely led to a lot of his issues. You know, he got hurt sure. in that tournament um, and it led to some, some other strain um, that eventually led to some injuries that r really ended his career. I mean, he kept pitching for another decade plus, but he was never the same pitcher after that. Um, 
I, th- I think that training has changed in those in the subsequent, you know, 13 years. Um, sure. And luckily, it's probably not a thing we're going to we're going to see happen again to another player that participates in that tournament. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that it went down the way it, it did because right. he definitely right. had the talent to succeed. Um, and, you know, his his accomplishments overseas shouldn't be diminished um, just because they're not uh, they're not closely followed by the American baseball audience. Um, for sure. But yeah, but yeah, dominant pitcher in t- two different sides of the world um, and, right. and a guy who's definitely underrated. Yeah. yeah you know, I think, too, uh, especially now seeing a guy like Shohei Otani, you know, Dice K was a, a very good hitter um, and, and spent most of his time, I believe, over, you know, in Japan batting for himself, right? Um, but, uh, you know, seeing a guy like Shohai today and seeing a player just able to let loose and just showcase their talents on both sides, you know, um, you know, Dice K was, was actually a tremendous postseason hitter too, uh, for the Red Sox. You know, if you look back at any statistics, you know, uh, from that point of view, um, famously he drove in two runs. Uh, in game three of the 07 World Series, you know, uh, during a six-run yeah, I mean, third inning, you know. <laughs> he also had like a 400 OPS, so he wasn't lighting the world on fire. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Amongst pitchers, you know, again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And obviously he's, that he's no Zach, n- no Zach Grinky. He's no Zach Grinky. <laughs> he's no Madison Bumgarner. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I think he has some pretty good statistics there uh, on the hitting size mo- uh, amongst pitchers, but uh, most definitely, you know, um, I kind of geek out over some of these, you know, MPB stats. It's uh, it's pretty impressive. Some of the caliber of athletes that have played in that league that never even um, they came over to the MLB, what were they weren't interested, or uh, or something happened. You know, it's just uh, um, it's always interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know we're we're seeing two phenomenal seasons in the MPB this year of players that will likely, uh, you know, head to the United States. And uh, I forgive me for the <laughs> for names here, but I know that there's a there's a home run chase going on right now where there's a player that's basically on pace with Aaron Judge, and then there's a young phenom pitcher who also is, uh, you know, Seiya Suzuki, I believe. Um, mm-hmm who is also uh, not – sorry, he came over last year. I, I yeah, Forgive he's me. With, no, he's with the Cubs. Yeah. Um, forgive me. Uh, there is a, I believe, 19-year-old pitcher who's just lighting the world on fire in that league. Um, both both players will likely end up in the in the United States playing in the MLB um, in the next few years. But, uh, awesome. yeah, so definitely check out that. Check out that, uh, that home run chase in the NPB. Um, I think we both agree. Dice K underrated. Um, and follow the World Baseball Classic qualifications. Um, there's some exciting games there. Great Britain and Czech Republic just qualified for the first time. Um, and it's great to see the, the sport kind of growing around the world. Absolutely. Yeah, so we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. And we are back. After that exhilarating conversation about Daisuke Matsuzaka, is there anybody you wanted to talk about to do? today uh bo yeah yeah so just a few days ago the las vegas aces became wnba champs 
you know, great year for that franchise. And as we spoke about just the other day, you and I, you know, the NWSL and the WNBA are seeing a massive spike in viewership and just overall coverage, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and it may not be for everyone, but I think it's pretty awesome. You know, for uh, for the listeners out there, Lefty, you did a solid story on Sue Bird, who just finished the final season in her legendary career. And it really got me thinking about the quality and some of the great competitive athletes in recent history um, in the WNBA. So today I wanted to talk about who could be widely considered one of the greatest rebounders and defensive players in the history of women's basketball. She's a former WNBA champion, finals MVP, WNBA MVP, and an eight-time All-Star, amongst other awards, but that's not all there is to this story. So today, I, I want to talk about the great Yolanda Griffith. Nice. So, yeah. Looking forward to it. As we, uh, as we do on every episode, we try to choose candidates to cover that have accomplishments in and outside the sports world. You know, Yolanda Griffith, she fits that description perfectly. So, you know, a native of inner city Chicago, she suffered loss at a young age. She lost her mother at age 13. You know, even at that time, she was extremely talented. And in her mind, even trying to overcome adversity at such a young age, she saw basketball as this avenue for improved circumstances in the future, right? So in high school, she was, as expected, an outstanding athlete. In her senior year, she was named an All-American in basketball as well as in softball. You know, from there, she was offered a scholarship to play for the women's basketball team at the University of Iowa. But as life had already shown her at that point, it wasn't going to be easy. She had to step away from that scholarship when she found out that she was pregnant and going to give birth to her daughter, Candace, at age 19. So, obviously, that immediately halted her collegiate career. You know, but she wasn't deterred. And, you know, as most people would do lefty you know you take a step back and um you know you put family first and you set aside your your own goals and you, you put away you know that future and and you had a different direction but uh, she had a dream and she was ready to persevere and she felt that she could do all of it right so uh she attended palm beach junior college where she earned Junior College All-America honors. And after two standout seasons, Division I schools, including, you know, Tennessee, uh, were eager to offer Griffith a scholarship. She, she shunned the big schools. She chose to stay in South Florida just so she didn't have to disrupt her, her daughter's daycare routine. Later, she transfers to Florida Atlantic University, which was then a Division II school, and that's where she graduated. She earned uh, Kodak Division II Player of the Year honors. Again, no easy task. She was a single mother. It it wasn't just basketball and classes. Yolanda was also working a full-time job for a car repo company, believe it or not. Wow. So, you know, her job often sent her out in the middle of the night. She was working crazy hours, but even with that, she needed that job to support herself and her daughter. And she stayed focused to accomplish her ultimate goal, continuing to play basketball. So after graduation, Griffith signed with an agent and she moved her daughter and uh, went over to Germany 
where she turned pro and she played there for nearly four years man you know uh finally in 1997 she made it back to the states so that her daughter could start first grade but uh she also joined the american basketball league after being taken number one overall in that draft um she played for the long beach stingrays they had one lone season but in that time she led them to an nba title game i'm sorry abl title game she was named defensive player of the year and all abl first team she also finished second in mvp voting but as said that long beach team folded she is then dealt to the chicago condors back in her hometown but it wasn't soon after that they folded too again adversity right she just couldn't pick up traction in her career uh, she was among you know some of the league leaders in many categories but couldn't be on a team that <laughs> had a future really right but yeah. she still wanted yeah. to keep going man you know she was uh splitting time as a ymca basketball instructor to make ends meet and the sacramento monarchs selected her as the number two overall pick in the 99 wnba draft and uh, just keep in mind at this time she is 29 years old <laughs> right yeah, yeah. She's, yeah she's number two in the draft and she's 29 years old and uh you know from there she becomes a legend she she becomes synonymous with sacramento she's intense you know she she led an organization that only won 18 games total the two seasons prior to a 19 and 13 record in 1999 and along the way captures a trifecta of wnba awards newcomer of the year defensive player of the year mvp you know in, in 2001 griffith set the wnba single season record for most offensive rebounds with 162 and later in 05 the monarchs win their first wnba title over the connecticut sun that's you know she was named finals mvp she spent nearly a decade in Sacramento before winding down her WNBA career with single season stops in Seattle and Indiana. Seems like she was on the lefty on the lefty trail. The reverse lefty trail. The reverse lefty trail. So to sum it up, after retiring in 2009, playing 311 games, she averaged 13.6 points and 7.9 rebounds, and she had a player efficiency rating of 25.4. Just to recap, she was the 1999 MVP, also the Defensive Player of the Year, five-time All-WNBA, two-time All-Defensive, eight-time All-Star, first all-time in offensive rebound percentage, third all-time in defensive rating, ninth all-time in win shares, and, and fifth all-time in rebounds. Uh, not to mention, she was a two-time U.S. National Women's Basketball Team member with two gold medals in 2000 and 2004. You know, in 2014, she was inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. She was a first ballot selection. And then finally, last year, she was nominated for induction into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. So here's what I want to add. Yolanda Griffith was 29 when she made her WNBA debut, right? 29 years old, as, you, as we just talked about. I mean, that's a career for most athletes that had already passed in years right yeah yeah i mean she wins mvp and defensive player of the year in her rookie season and i want to add that the only nba players to have ever won both in the same year 
are two guys you might have heard of, Michael Jordan and Akeem Olajuwon. So that should give you an idea of the company she was in. You know, life and time never seemed to be on her side, yet she continued to push. She may be considered to be in most experts' top 25s, but her accomplishments off the court, just they, they, they cannot weigh all, all of her accomplishments on the court. So with that being said, Lefty, we talked about her career, we talked about her accolades, but we've also talked about her personal life. Do you think she's accurately rated? Do you think she's underappreciated? Do you think she's underrated in general? What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I think that she's definitely underrated. I think in the in the WNBA sphere, um, she's someone that's definitely accurately rate, rated and accurately appreciated. You know, she was named to the WNBA 10th anniversary team, the WNBA 15th anniversary team, the WNBA 20th anniversary team, and the Absolutely. WNBA 25th anniversary team. I think when it comes to um, WNBA fans, um, sure. she, she's definitely someone that is properly rated and uh, properly appreciated. But unfortunately, that scope doesn't expand beyond that. You know, right. casual casual basketball fans are familiar with the LeBron Jameses, the Michael Jordans of the world. But unfortunately, casual basketball fans are not familiar with LeBron, Yolanda Griffith. And that's a, that's a real shame, you know. Um, sure. Hopefully, that's a thing we're seeing change now as, as coverage of the WNBA expands. Um, but yeah, she had a phenomenal career, and like you said, it didn't it didn't start in serious professional leagues until she was 29 years old, which is you know older than the average player in the WNBA right now. Right. Um, and not to mention, you know, she also played her WNBA career playing double duty. You know, playing in Italy at the same time in the sure. off season, playing in Russia at the same time during the off season, um, and many players continue to do that today, but. That, that's a difficult life to live um, and it's one she excelled at and undoubtedly one of the the greatest uh, basketball players of the last 30 years and one of if not the greatest WNBA player of all time definitely you know a lot of fans think of the WNBA and they think of names like Tarasi and obviously Sue Bird and Lisa Leslie and the Cheryl Swoops and obviously you know Brittany Griner and, and and names like that and you know obviously with Brittany Griner you know she's going to have a hell of a story to tell herself uh, of adversity and and things that have gone on yeah, yeah. Um, at an early age right I mean it was it just didn't seem like anything was going to work in her favor now we all know how this goes a lot of us out there you know being a full-time student and working a full-time job um, is difficult enough you know adding in being a full-time parent and being a full-time student athlete, those are some extra layers right there, right? I don't know. It takes a certain type of person to uh, withstand those sorts of uh, hurdles in life. And she just continued to run into these hurdles and would jump right over them, right? I mean, plenty of hard work and with, you know, tunnel vision, but uh, those numbers you know, um, put her in a league of her own in in a lot of ways. Um, I am delighted to hear, obviously, that, you know, she's nominated for induction into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. 
where she belongs, and where I feel so many WNBA players do belong. Um, I, I just think that's, you know, it's just right, and it should be um, that way uh, moving forward. But uh, agreed, 100%. You know, um, looking into her story, and, you know, she's obviously she's gone on. She, she became an assistant coach at Dartmouth. She's, she's had uh, many different ventures, and uh, obviously her, her daughter's grown up to be a fine young woman, um, uh, you know, living overseas and moving around and, and being different places. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I think uh, what we do need to remember is, uh, you know, not only was she a great WNBA athlete but she was a an awesome mom and a, a hard worker in every sense of the word right um and uh you know if she's uh if she's only gonna be recognized for her you know accomplishments on the court uh definitely i think uh i think yeah. she's yeah well you know she, she she was inducted into the naismith hall of fame into 2021 she, so she so she did she did get inducted yeah yep yep. yeah absolutely so you know she's gotten the recognition which she deserves and uh again like we covered you know in 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 our story uh, about venus williams you know um there's so much the you know life is there's so many layers here so you know um uh, being able to continue on and and, and what you've done in and outside of your your sport is uh, is huge right yeah yeah absolutely and you know she's still having a successful coaching career to this day, and Absolutely. likely has a, a fair number of fair number of years years left in uh, in that endeavor. But yeah, Definitely. absolutely underrated. Um, that said, is there anything uh, coming up in the sports world you're excited about this week? Oh man, you know, I I go through these phases, right? So like you know, you get. Uh, a new season starts, you get really into it. You know, like I said, I was, you know, I'm in my NFL mode, but I'm also doing my countdown to the NBA season. Um, obviously, you know, we, we've got some uh, some some great baseball here over the next, some competitive baseball here. Uh, again, I'm going to do my, my, my regular episode uh, standings check. Uh, have you been keeping up with it? How's it looking out there, man? Uh, it's done for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A little grim. I mean, it's uh, six games is a is a, that's a that's a that's a little bit of a gap here. Yeah, that's what we call insurmountable. Right. Yeah, I uh, I expected more of uh, uh, back and forth with the the Mets and Braves, but yeah, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, it's uh, the, the, they're staying put here. You know, the Cardinals have been playing 500 baseball here the last uh, yeah, you know yeah. week and a half. So but that's all um, they need, right? To 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 make the playoffs yeah milwaukee's pretty uh, ha- hasn't been good you know luckily M- milwaukee hasn't been good so uh I-, I wouldn't be surprised if they finished their season closer to 500 you know just a few games over 500 you know for whatever reason they just they have fallen apart since that trade deadline yeah yeah much like the white Sox, it's a it's a team with a lot of stars a lot of a lot of exciting young talent but not a complete roster yeah definitely so um, yeah, we'll we'll see how this pans out. I think we pretty much know how it's going to go at this point. Um, I don't see any big changes a- a- anywhere really. Uh, I think it all it comes down to is the Padres and the Phillies, you know, um, and and seeing how that all uh, you know plays out. So we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, what about you, man? You uh, you looking forward to some uh, some games or some events this weekend? 
Uh, you know, there's a currently an international break in uh, in uh, soccer, um, and there's some some international games I'm excited about. Um, really excited to watch Cameroon, and uh, I think they're playing Uzbekistan tonight. Yeah, Cameroon. Um, that's a it, Cameroon is is always that. Uh, oh man, they always have some outstanding you know athletes. Uh, they always just really do something surprising and fun i I don't know it just seems like uh, this has been a pattern over a long period of time yeah well in so they also um they also recently added my favorite brentford player to their roster um uh someone that they was trying to get the french call up but uh just just didn't uh didn't get there cameroon offered him a spot so brian and waymo is uh gonna make his first uh first uh First start for Cameroon tonight, I believe. All right. Although that is a that's a late game. That's 11 p.m. Uh, Pacific. So that's uh, that's a that game's tomorrow for you, Bo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a tomorrow game. Yeah, and definitely. I'll uh, I'll keep an eye out for that. Did um, did you see uh, former New York Giants quarterback Eli Manning put on prosthetics and and go undercover at at Penn State? No, because somebody does this every year. It was funny in 2006, the first time it happened, but they do this every year, and it's no longer yeah. enjoyable to anybody but that 45-year-old quarterback. It, I really wanted to just talk about the very, very disturbing-looking prosthetics that they put on him. I mean, it was it was kind of frightening. I'll uh, I'll say that. So, uh, um, yeah, I don't get this. Why I don't know why they why, why they continue to do this. Um, uh, just it just seems stupid i don't know i have no other way to put it it just seems really dumb but it's like a big thing and it was all over and i'm like really nobody out there thought that this serial killer looking fella was not a kid trying out for the team (laughs) it's just it's just weird you know in in other football news speaking of aged uh garbage quarterbacks i think we do need to we do need to discuss brett Favre. Oh, have you yeah, have you followed the situation? He's having some legal issues, we'll say. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, let's not beat around the bush. This is despicable, like garbage human being, right? Right. I mean, diverting has funds has been, yeah, 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 yeah. For for a long time, has been. I mean, long time. We had somebody tried to. I I I'm uh I'm blanking on the name, but you know, this was this was thrown out. Jin Sturger, right? tried to mm-hmm. tell us about the, the bullshit he was up to right. a long time ago but, long time but ago. even even more recently this 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 recent uh dust up in which he helped divert funds earmarked for welfare recipients and you know impoverished people that actually needed them to build a fucking volleyball court right in mississippi like, yeah 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 I mean, it's 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 awful, and yeah, you know, I mean, he, he embezzled five million dollars from welfare recipients. Absolutely, like, that, absolutely. That is that is not just a garbage human being. That's a person that should be in prison. It, uh, that's just what I was about to get at. If they do not put this man in prison, they are legitimately doing a disservice to everyone in the in that state specifically who yeah. are suffering literally because of this. Um, yeah, uh, you know, he he and uh, whoever was involved, obviously, 
multiple people went yeah, into I mean, this the, the governor the governor um multiple people went into this knowing exactly what they were doing and how they were going to do it yeah i don't think Brett Favre's a smart person you know i no. i'll be honest i don't think he's a freaking smart person no. uh, he didn't put this together but he supported it and was all for it and uh yeah yeah i hope they eat him alive i'll be honest yeah i, yeah. I hope they tear and, him and apart and you know just as a I, i'm i'm not certain what's what's happening on the 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 cable sports channels i'm not a i'm not uh I don't watch ESPN, but uh, based on what I've seen online, uh, there's almost no reaction to this. There is, it's just blown over. I mean, people are still like roasting Colin Kaepernick because he fucking took a knee, but uh, right. Brett Favre gets a pass on stealing five million dollars from poor people. Uh, yeah, just a, yeah. just a, just a horrible yeah, situation. Exactly. No, I agree, and you know, it's uh, you know, and I think for a lot of people, it's like, you know. Uh, no offense, it's a white guy uh, committing a white collar crime, and uh, nobody died. Um, yeah, well, and it's, nobody it's, was insulted. You know, it's just like, oh, oh okay, and yeah, the, yeah. The, that's that's where we're holding. Well, and the true victims of the crime are people without without much uh, political power, unfortunately, um, and no voice. And yeah, no, absolutely. exactly. Yeah, somebody, you know, it, it's people that that don't have uh, much recourse. Um, and it's people who ultimately probably don't even know that they, that this this money that was earmarked to help their lives, you know, get better. They don't know that the money's gone because it was never, never, never seen by them. Um, exactly. But uh, yeah, you know. But as long as we have uh, people like Tony Larusa speaking out for for the lives of dogs, <laughs> you know, sending Michael Vick to prison for for something that that didn't actively hurt any people. Uh, right. Well, uh, you know, glossing over uh, an actual crime that impacted, you know, thousands of people in the state of Mississippi. Um, well, it's not going to get much better. No, exactly. I 100 percent agree with that. You know, I think it's uh, I think it's pretty ridiculous. You know how, um, like you said, I, again, I don't know what the reaction's been. Obviously, he's being, you know, it's a full fledged inve- investigation or whatnot. But. You know, I just don't, I don't want to see any of this, like, hands in the air. I, I don't know what's going on. Like, we know you're an idiot, but we know you had an, ultimately an end goal. So, you know, let's not, let's not play this game. Brett Favre's been a, a piece of shit for a long time. Like, I mean, yeah. while he yeah. was playing, he was, you know, we can say what we want about Aaron Rodgers, but, I mean, he, even at that point, was a terrible human being to Aaron Rodgers, uh, you yeah. know, in, in yeah. his early years. And, um, you know, um, that spoke volumes and that it spoke volumes when the Packers were like, we're, we're good. You can go to Minnesota or or you can go to and play and play for the Jets. Like, just, just go. Right. You know, it says a lot about, you know, um, I'm not trying to pat, pat the Packers on the back. They don't fucking deserve that either. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he he's this has been going on for years, and he's continued to get a pass for just being crappy. And uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's gonna well, I mean, and it, unfortunately, it's even guided our conversation to an extent. You know, we talk sure. about a coach, a coach who had an affair first, um, just because right. that is the biggest news in the world right now, despite right. the fact that uh, this is happening at the same time. Uh, right, and it's something that uh, you know you probably got to scroll to page five of the the New York Times to find anything. About. Oh, for sure. Yeah, unless you're unless you're diving deep into it, you know. Uh, but I, I think most importantly, and just refresh my memory here, what what was the connection 
I mean, was this did one of his kids go there, or is this just the alma mater? Like um, where this volleyball court's at. I'm I know he lives right down there, but yeah, it's not, you know, not that it matters. It's just like you know, give me a break, man. You know, but uh, the more exciting news, your favorite. EA Sports is adding Ted Lasso and his, his fictitious AFC Richmond team to FIFA 2023. Well, there's a reason that they lost their contract for that, and this is going to be the last game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, I, I, uh, I have actually uh, played FIFA here recently. I'm not yeah. a gamer by any means, but uh, I actually played FIFA recently. And uh, yeah, I was showing one of the I was showing one of the kids how to uh, play because they've never had FIFA, and uh, so I still got it. I'll just say that nice, nice. It. Yeah, maybe. Like I good. said, like I mean, I texted you a week or so ago, but uh, they are bringing Football Manager, probably the most popular game in the in the United Kingdom, uh, to all consoles, yeah. which is exciting news. Um, I'm not. I don't. I don't have a, a gaming PC. So I'm excited to, <laughs> to play that game for the first time. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I feel, you know, I feel like that's a little much. Like I see a, yeah. a lot of grown adults with gaming setups. I'm not trying to knock anyone out there. I just feel like it's it's really tough to just have this whole setup. You know, there's a lot of like neon lights. You're in a race car chair. Um, yeah, they, you know, incredibly like, uncomfortable. <laughs> Right. What are the, who are those made for? Uh, made for people with expendable money, but don't care about lumbar support. Yeah, I was gonna say it's got like paraplegics. Like, I mean, someone who uh, just doesn't feel. You know, I mean, it's like yeah. they're pretty rough, man. You know, yeah, so. they're they're incredibly uncomfortable. Um, I don't think that a real adult would buy one of those, but uh, hey, I'll save the judgment for Brett Favre. Yeah, <laughs> um, definitely. That that said, uh, you know, it's been a nice episode. We talked about uh, Yolanda Griffith, Daisuke Matsuzaka, mm-hmm. um, and we'll uh, we'll catch you back here next week for another exciting episode of Underrated. You can find us on Twitter at Underrated Pod. That's under underscore rated underscore pod, or on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts can be found. See you next time.